In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. So, this week's installment, um, eh, I don't know, I guess we've been kind of circling uh, the drain of weird Canadian sci-fi for a while (laughs) lately, it seems, although that's not been intentional. Um, But my question to kick things off is, um, Amy, what is your... What are your thoughts, should you have any, on blue makeup? Oh, my God. <laughs> the, that's hilarious that that's the question because, like, if you were to ask me what I remembered about this show from watching it, it would be, uh, that lady's makeup. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was sort of, like, the one thing I, like, retained. Um, what do I think about blue makeup? Um Blue eyeshadow, I'm assuming. Well, or blue, yes. like, even blue lipstick. There was blue lipstick. There was blue eyeshadow. I want to say there was even, like, a, like a drawn-on blue eyebrow on Oh, yeah, there was. One oh, yeah, lady. now I'm remembering the rest of the weird makeup now. Okay. Yeah. I sort of forgot about the rest of the weird makeup. I was thinking more of the main lady who her makeup wasn't really weird. It was just very nineties makeup. Yes. Um, yeah. No, this is the stuff that, that was sense. like, yes, the supporting oh, like the, extra types. Okay. Who had yeah. like the very futuristic. Yeah. Yeah. Vibe okay, going. So in general about blue makeup, I'm not a fan for me. It's not, it's not the look that I ever gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I gravitate towards, the, the nudes and the browns and the, and the golds, or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, you know, makeup gurus on, you know, social media platforms can make it look good if they really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, drag queens can make it look good. Again, people who are, like, professional makeup artists can make it look cool. It's a statement look. It's not, like, you know, grocery store style. But it can look good. It's not for me, but I don't dislike it on other people, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, what's funny about it is, like, I feel that if you're going to go with a blue eyeshadow or even a blue lip, like, it kind of demands that you go all in on it. Like, it's not about subtlety, when you've chosen that look. Um, Which is all the more funny, although maybe not so much, because, like, 
When I think of blue eyeshadow, I don't think futuristic. I think 1980s. (laughs) Like 70s 70s, too, I suppose, but 1980s especially. Um, and, And it would be like... That was like nothing was ever done by half measures in the 80s. Like everything was about bold looks. Um, So this one too was that, but then done, yeah, in this way where like it was as if like someone had taken a ruler and drawn like a diagonal line from (laughs) the corner of the lady's eye to the end of her eyebrow. Yeah. And was like, we're going to paint all this blue. And like yeah. blue and silver, and then yeah. make a blue eyebrow on top of that. Um, it's just sort of, I guess it's sort of just another interesting glimpse into somebody's mind when it comes to what they think the future is, you know? Yeah. That it, in some people's mind, the future is this weird dystopian, like, trash can fire situation in other people's it's like very uh fanciful and like you know silver jumpsuits right all this and then well it's it's never just like normal it's all quite stylized like um either because i would say what we were seeing in this particular episode, what we were seeing was like a late 90s, early 2000s inspired future where all mm-hmm. the looks w- would have worked. Like everyone on that set could have just walked out onto the street in <laughs> 1999. And people would have been like, wow, you've really like, that's a bold choice. But you it would have like. You just went to a rave, right? Yeah. Like you, it, but it just like fits in the broader spectrum of what was already on people's bodies and what they were doing with their hair sure. and their eyes and like whatever. Well, cause it like the colors were a thing in the 90, in the late nineties and definitely like glitter and sparkle and like yeah. weird stuff like that. The other Not thing that, that I thought that. was funny is like, while the main people on the show had like what I would describe as pretty cool looking costumes and like pretty like bold, like hair or makeup choices the extras then just looked normal. <laughs> like they, 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 <laughs> they did. didn't have the budget. No, they didn't because not every, even in the scene that I'm referring to or that inspired this question, there's one reporter lady who's made up like this and everyone else just looks normal. And I'm like, well, if, <laughs> if this is the style, then surely more people have to be done like this. Like, um, no, they didn't. Whoever the rest of them were didn't get the memo they needed to do their makeup at home, I and they guess didn't have not. extra makeup on set. I mean, <laughs> so there's also like, that's what you look like. Yeah, I mean, I do also enjoy because this is a version the the like look of this particular show um, is neither the silver jumpsuit future that you described, nor is it like the we're all wearing beige like yeah. sacks either. It's like not that. Um, it's weirdly in the middle, though, it, it's, I feel like. It's, but it's also a version that was very popular. The depiction was very popular, I would say, in the 80s and 90s of this kind of, like, high fashion carnival might be how I would describe <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Like, kind of where you take different things from different world cultures and, like, blend them together and then put a big high collar on something 
or um, like the woman who's got the blue makeup, part of why the blue stood out so much is it, if I remember correctly, they had also like made her face quite pale um, with, mm-hmm. other, you know, like with other makeup. And so then it's like, oh, so that's like kind of like old timey, like French or English court of the 17th century, you know, like vibes. Um, and so there was... A period, like, I I could say, like, starting in the 80s and carrying through most of the 90s where that was also a vision that people used quite often to show the future was this kind of, like, we're just going to have every style from history come back in this new way with different fabric or with, you know, like, different stuff. Um, and that was kind of the vibe of this show. So... Mm-hmm. Welcome, everyone, to See You Next Week in Space. I am Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And so, Amy, why don't you tell everyone what it is that we watched for this week? We watched the 1998 classic, Welcome (laughs) to Paradox. I'm sure you've heard of it. (laughs) Um, It it ran for a whopping one season, I believe. The episode that we uh, watched specifically is called The Extra and aired in September of 1998. Correct. Um, now, this also, like, so this is 90s, this is a 90s time capsule, I would describe it as. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason I would describe it as that is because it's called Welcome to Paradox, which I think is a play on the Green Day song, Welcome to Paradise. Well, let me tell you, every time I searched for this, Welcome <laughs> to Paradise came up. Because <laughs> I was like, am I... I sort of thought I was starting to go crazy. No. Well, because did you have a hard time finding it? I didn't, really. That's, that was sort of an exaggeration. But every time that I looked it up, that would come up first. Yeah, if well... I started, like, even when I typed into, like, Amazon, I typed in Welcome to Para and... Yeah, anyway. yeah. Welcome to Paradise came out in 1991. Um, Mm. according to the internet. Um, Whoa, I had no idea that the Green Day Dookie album came out in 1992. That's disgusting. Yeah, I am... Oh, I'm old as the hills. That's 31. Shut. 31 years old. Stop saying that. (laughs) Stop saying those words. Listen, listen, listen. That means wait, that wait, wait. somebody... Oh, listen, no. listen, listen, listen. No, wait. Is that wrong? I, I'm looking it up. Okay, hold on, hold on. I need to... Okay. I feel slightly better. The album wasn't released until 1994. You know, okay, 29 still, years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's still not great. Somebody who's 27 or 28 was not alive when that album came out. Oh, God. That's pretty gross. It's terrible. It's absolutely people, terrible. I mean, pe- people who we've not to talk about 9 11, but like <laughs> people who are 22 years old weren't alive when 9 11 happened. I, That's I know. It's gross. It's gross and it's rude and. <laughs> I just don't know why time... And 9-11 was just rude to Yes, that, so that-, <laughs> that is the best adjective I would use to describe 9-11 was rude. Just very exactly. rude. Um, exactly. Anyway, now I can't continue to reflect on the linear passage of time for me and my life. Um, 
the IMDb description of Welcome to Paradox is as follows. Um, High-budget science fiction series derived mostly from original stories by top science fiction authors. The unrelated stories, two by John Varley, are reset in a future utopia, Betaville, which is being undermined by out-of-control technology. And to me, that description is word salad. <laughs> I, I don't know what that all means, but... Yeah, like, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, in a, hmm, like, I guess it is similar to the Ray Bradbury theater in that it is just a set of separate stories written by science fiction authors Although I guess the difference is, is that um, in this case, I don't know, they take like a, maybe a known story. I think they play with it quite a bit more in this one um, than in some of the other anthologies we've run across. Um, And then the other thing that is a bit different is like, because it's this welcome to paradox thing, um, you would expect the city to be called paradox, right? Oh yeah. I never thought about that. It's not. Um, yeah. Betaville. I guess I didn't yeah. realize any of this. Well, you, there's no reason that you really should based on the episode that we watched. But, like, I guess the feeling amongst the series creators was we're making this anthology, but we want it to, like, tie together in some way. And so every story will take place in this utopian city called Betaville. Hmm. Um... And like I didn't read it as very utopian, but that maybe no, me. I don't get the impression that it is terribly utopian. And I'll also say like so they're using existing science fiction stories, none of which occur in a place called Betaville. So like they've made up Betaville, and Got then it. they like set whatever story they've chosen to that place. Um, in this case. This particular episode we watched, the extra, is in part inspired by... Now I need to look something up that I forgot about. uh, It is in part inspired by the novel um, by Oscar Wilde, The Picture of Dorian Gray, um, Mm. as well as... Um, a, a short story by Australian science fiction writer Greg Egan. Um, do you know the story of the picture of Dorian Gray? The, no. <laughs> no. I, no. Have you heard of it? It sounds familiar. The name Dorian Gray sounds familiar, but I don't know the rest of what you said. The, the title of the book is called The Picture of Dorian Gray. I know, but just the name sounds familiar. Dorian Gray, the name sounds familiar. Oh, okay. Well, that's because um, the character has gone down in history as one of the more hmm, evocative, maybe is a good way to describe him. Um, And there's actually a great, I should have said this to you. I can't believe I've not said it to you before now. Um, there's a great might have maybe that's how I know it. <laughs> there's a great movie adaptation of it from 1945. Let me hold on. I wanna 
1945. I just want to double check something. Yes, this is why I, I can't believe I, I should have told you this before. So You might have. <laughs> the 1945 version of the picture of Dorian Gray features Angela Lansbury, young Angela Lansbury, mm. soon after Gaslight. Um, mm. a, if it's not Gaslight, I don't want it, but okay. Well, you might, and then it also has a very <laughs> young Donna Reed in one of the roles as well. And basically, the premise of the movie and of the book is that um, Dorian Gray is this extremely handsome and um, rakish libertine. Um, And he's like, you know, having this wonderful life as like a young English gentleman. And he paints um, as part of his kind of like... You know, he can't really have a job because he's a gentleman, but he can paint and do things like that. Um, To be a gentleman. Indeed. And I forget, I don't think there's really magic involved. I can't remember precisely because it's been a while since I read the book and also watched the movie. But generally something happens where Dorian starts imbuing, he paints a self-portrait. And he imbues the self-portrait with all of his negativity and bad thoughts and bad deeds and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like in in exchange for his physical appearance remaining unblemished. Maybe that does sound familiar. I'm sure you've run across... some probably and you might have literally like explained this to me previously with all these exact same words i just have a terrible memory i mean honestly i know you're not much of a reader but you might want to give a try to the movie because of old angela lansbury being young um and And also, I yes, find, I'm, that is the reason. I like to watch movies where old people are young. So yes, I, who doesn't? <laughs> um, but I guess, in a sense, we can see this as a version of that um, because the main character is maintaining his, not his youth exactly, um, but his um, kind of connection to life by... Um, relying on others to feed that, uh, what is it? That hunger, I guess. We'll talk more about it in a second. Okay. Um, also, just a note, we didn't see that in this episode, but anytime a car was used in this particular series, they used the new VW Beetle that came oh, out uh, in the 90s as like the car of the future, I guess. Um, so this is like 90s top to bottom. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, according to Wikipedia, Betaville, this, the fictional place where this, um, series is set exists at an unspecified future point in time. Um, and societal problems such as crime, violence, and disease have been resolved, but there is a dark undercurrent that impacts some citizens directly. So that is what Betaville is like. Um, in terms of the cast, this again is speaking to the Dorian 
Gray uh, situation. The main character here is Daniel Gray. Um, He also plays a character called C7, which we will learn about shortly. Um, This is played by an actor named Rodney Rowland, or Roland. Um, Unclear how old he was at any time, because he has very uh, shrewdly kept his age off the internet. Um, Or at least off IMDb. People nowadays can't do that. (laughs) Um, I mean, at least off IMDb. I don't know if it's like the whole internet he's kept it off. But um, he, unsurprisingly, because again, the whole whole point of the Dorian Gray story, um, which like I think that's also why I feel like you must have run across, if not Dorian, the picture of Dorian Gray, some riff on it, because it's a really calm, it sets up a trope that now exists quite often, which is like, for me to remain physically perfect and young, I'm going, I need to offload all of my bad feelings into a vessel or into another Mm. person, you know, or something. And then that... Maybe, maybe it's, I'm trying to think, I'm... Maybe they mention it or reference it in Damn Yankees because Weird. that's like sort of the, well. The whole thing is that he sells his soul to the devil to be young and play baseball. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That was the premise of that musical. <laughs> <laughs> um, that explains a lot. <laughs> I don't know if they mentioned it in that, but as you were like describing it more, I was like, that's fair. I mean, it's obviously a sort of a, a more universal trope, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the concept of like somehow offloading your problems to something else existed before the picture of Dorian Gray, but in kind of like modern, um, storytelling, this is one of the most kind of earliest, um, and well-known versions of that where it's like, I am taking everything that's bad about me and I'm putting it elsewhere. And that means that I personally can remain young looking and everyone uh, loves me, uh, but no one can ever know this dark secret. And especially like, you know, I'm I'm storing all of these terrible things about myself in an object. And so like the object can't mm. be gotten rid of and but it can't be shown okay i just looked up damn yankees and i'm basically wrong because it's a take on faust oh no okay not, all right not that but anyway anyway good to know i still didn't know that either <laughs> like both either <laughs> version is a thing i didn't know about damn yankees to begin with it's kind of a fun show, I won't lie, but um, anyway. No, that does sound fun, but per our production call, I'm not sure I can watch a Satan-related item quite at any moment in time. Oh, it's it's light. Satan light. Satan light. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so, returning to Rodney Rowland, uh, he started out as a model because the that's what I was saying before, is that Dorian Gray, and in this case Daniel Gray, one of the key components is that physically this is a really attractive person, um, mm. that their outside and their insides don't match is kind of like the whole thing. Um, mm. In his case, his first credit is in 1989. 
Um, and then once, so he starts as a model, transitions to acting in 89 or around that time anyway. From then, he starts getting really consistent TV work. Um, and I would say he's kind of one of those guys, because like, when I saw him, I was like, I know I've seen this guy. I absolutely am sure. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you which thing I saw him on because he was in everything. He was like in one episode of everything. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Okay. Sorry. I just had to look him up to remind myself. Yeah. He was, um, I'm almost positive. I don't think I wrote it down. I'm almost positive he's, he was in an episode of Criminal Minds at some juncture. I was, well, we wrote that he was in a bunch of crime procedurals and I was yeah. like, it must be Criminal Minds. Yeah. Yeah, he's in everything. I'm I'm not kidding. He is in one episode of like everything that was happening between 1990 and now. <laughs> like, um, oh yeah, he was in Criminal Minds. Yep. Yep. Um, related to this, because there's a clone element in this futuristic version of Dorian Gray, he was in the clone movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Sixth Day. Um, hmm. As you said, he was pretty much every crime procedural of the early 2000s he was in that um i if i recognize him from anything i think it would probably be veronica mars though i'm not mm. sure of that um and he's got three things coming down the pipeline uh so i think he will probably just be one of those people who by the, by the time <laughs> he retires and or, I mean, for all we know, he might, might be one of those people who's acting up until like, you know, the last six months before they die. Um, Yikes. But well, he's 59. I mean, oh, I know that's not like. You found his age. Good work. Of, oh, um, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that was the missing piece. He's 50, obviously 59 now. And, and so then show. 25 years ago, he would have been 24. Okay. Sure. Great. So that's what that's his age Whatever. in this is what I'm saying. <laughs> or wait. Yeah. 25 years ago. I don't do yeah. math. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. 25 uh, years ago. Oh, no, no. He would have been 34. No. 34. 34. Yeah. Um, so then we have a character called Sarah Dale played by a 30-year-old Justine Priestley. And yes, that is Jason Priestley's sister. Um, that's so funny. And that's very 90s, just being related to Jason Priestley. It is. And she was... Per- I inferred from various online things and like even just the way she was presented in this that she was like the special like big-name person on this episode was Justine Priestley. Mm. Um, her first credit is in 1992, um, and she has a variety of kind of single appearances on TV shows throughout the 90s. She had a few, she was in a few episodes of Melrose Place. Um, Of course she was. Yeah, but like for all that she was connected to this priestly name, um, it didn't seem to really turn into much of a career for her, at least well, in acting. Yeah. Well, what did Jason Priestley do besides 90210, honestly? Um, that's, I mean. Anything? I think he's done a lot of, like, TV movie sort of stuff. Okay. Um, let's yeah. have a quick lookety look for good old Jason. I mean, I'm just, I, my point, my point was not so much to, like, malign him but more uh that 
he that you know in her case maybe she didn't get lucky with that like breakout type of show sure he got lucky with like a show that happened to take off you know well according to imdb he has been in 122 things okay well then forget what i said (laughs) and and most recently which i i did not know he's in some show called private Private eyes Eyes. yeah what is that canadian so who knows it's Canadian. Former professional hockey player Matt Shade partners with Private Eye Angie Everett to solve crimes around Toronto. I would watch that. I'd watch that right now. <laughs> that sounds so Canadian. It does, but um, I mean, come oh, on. he does the race car driving thing. That was his thing for a while. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. He's he was also so before he. So he was in Private Eyes, and that only finished in 2021. He's got four upcoming projects, which I can't quite tell, like, what they are. He also um, he also literally has in his Wikipedia page promotional activity for Bare Naked Ladies. Priestley what? is a big fan of the band Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> that is very weird. And, I mean, it says, like, more stuff, but it's like, really? He's just basically a fan? What He's just, like, a name? really important fan. An who's avid like, fan. Um, and then before that, he was in something called Raising Expectations for 26 episodes. Mm. And then, All like, right. yeah, so he's, he definitely, like, obviously, he, after the, um, Beverly Hills 90210 days, like, even, he wasn't even that gone after that, but, like, you know, took a bit of a hiatus, I suppose, um, but the way he, I would say the way he stuck in there was because he did like, oh, he's done voice work. He's been in a variety yeah. of different types of movies. Um, he's like TV movies, especially seem to be a thing that kind of kept him going at various moments in time. Um, yeah, lots of TV movies. Lots yeah. of them. Um, again, cause like, that's also something to do with like, I guess Hockeyville. It, he was in something called the hockey. He is Canadian Yikes, after okay. all. I mean, I know. And he plays um, himself in it. So that also checks out. Yeah. He also plays himself in a number of things. Like, so he's, <laughs> he's done it right, I guess. Um, but in her case, like, I feel sort of bad for her now. It didn't quite materialize into anything. Um, yeah. And I would say, I mean, not that this episode would have been the showcase for anybody's talents, um, but, like, you know, she wasn't remarkably good or anything. So, um, you know. um, Then we have a character called Dr. Ben Polaris, played by a 41-year-old Peter Williams, um, who, interestingly, was born in Jamaica, um, huh. and then his first credit was in 1982. Um, he as well, I, I would say much like most of the people on this one, he's more of a TV actor than he is a movie actor. Um, okay. but that being said, he was in a TV movie called she woke up pregnant. Um, now that's 
sounds fun at first. <laughs> but like then I, you, I read that. Think about the when words. When you think about it. Yeah. When you think about the words together. Concerning. I'm like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I have a feeling it doesn't have the whimsy nature. I mean. A, like. The whole. <laughs> the whole thing. Like. Because technically. Someone's waking up pregnant. Every minute of the day. Like, they weren't pregnant well, when they went to sleep. They are pregnant when they wake up. Like, that's happening every moment. That doesn't mean anyone knows it, like, in that second. Um, that's true. And also, what it could be, like, she woke up pregnant on the 30th day that she knew she was pregnant. Right. You know, who, yeah, she right. woke up pregnant again. Right. Or, like, you've been pregnant for six months, and then you wake up, and you're still pregnant. Like, still pregnant. That's Let's fine. pretend that's what that movie's about <laughs> because I have a feeling it's not, but I, I think that's a nicer version. I have a very sad feeling that it is not nice at all. But in fact, what it reminds me of is, wasn't there, didn't there used to be a show that was like, I didn't know I was pregnant? Yes. Yeah. Like, and it's like a real, it's like a reality show. That um, terrifies me. Yeah, it's scary, and it's well. And the sad thing about that show is, it is usually again, we're talking about well, I don't know about again, but we're talking about generally young, yeah, young girls, yeah, because somehow, <laughs> some like to the point where it's like they didn't know they were pregnant. I think a lot of times in that show until literally they give birth, which is I shocking. Do not know how that that happens. is terrifying. I literally have no idea. I have no idea. I have no, literally no idea because there are so, like, I'm not judging. It's not in a way of, like, how could you not know, but sort of how could you not know because, like. I, well, I will say I just, I had heard about the premise of I didn't know I was pregnant, the reality show. And also, I'm not sure yeah. if it, the title of the show is actually called I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant, but it's that. No, I think, I don't think it's not, but that's um, the gist. But. I forget, this was years ago now, I forget why it came up, but I was talking with a friend of mine and I was like, oh my God, have you heard this thing? I, the very idea I wouldn't know I was pregnant is like the most terrifying thing I ever had, have imagined. And she was like, that happened to a friend of mine. And I was like, when <gasps> she was 16? And she was like, no, like two years ago. And wait, 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 wait. Yeah. And they didn't, the person didn't know they were pregnant? This was like when we were until both. Until birth? No, not quite that bad. Um, this was like when we were in our early thirties and maybe it was that the girl, that's what it was. Okay. So we were in our early thirties. I said this thing about how it was terrifying. Then she was like, I have a friend who literally is about to have a child that she didn't know she was pregnant with until two months ago. And I was like, what are you talking about? So basically this person wasn't aware she was pregnant for about six months and then was like, you're having a kid in three months. And she was single, and it was like, what the fuck? Like, um, Well, I just have... We, I mean, we could literally talk for the rest of the podcast about this because I have so many questions. Like, it's, it's terrible and heartbreaking, especially if you find that out, and it's like... You, you can't, can't do anything. Do yeah. You can't do anything. And now you're blindsided with a thing that you're not able to. And I'm like, and I'm like, I think part of the reason you need 
the full eight or nine months is to just get your head around it. (laughs) um, Totally. And then she had like two to get to yeah, no, that's horrible. Um, but no, I guess so, my question for like a full grown adult. So like, part of it, if I'm trying to remember, so part of it is is that a do lot you not gain of weight. Well, a lot of people have very irregular periods all their whole lives. Like it, okay, that part so I understand. That's part of it. So sure. She had this very irregular, had always had very irregular periods. So, like, when it okay. didn't come, it was like, okay, what, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and as for the weight gain, I'm trying to I mean, to I know remember. not everyone does, but like. I think it was something where she had been going through a stressful time anyway. Mm. And so she was like, well, weight gain is, just isn't weight. unusual, yeah. you know, um, and I don't think it was like... I would think that, like, okay, 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 and so at six months, did, like, the baby kick, and then that's how she found I out? I like, what? I would just think there would be so many other symptoms I know, besides- I mean, that's what I thought as well, but, like, you know, either this woman was... Morning com- sickness, nothing, yeah. like... Either this woman was completely like, oh, delusional, um, which I don't... The friend of whom she is a friend is like I'm like I don't think she would have a friend who is actually insane like, completely like, yeah um and so it was I inf- what I gathered from what I was told is that like this woman's life basically had fallen apart before mm. she had sex with someone and what I can't remember is if she had sex with an ex boyfriend or if it was just like some guy or something Damn. but like. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, my life had fallen apart. I didn't really, like, think about it. And then I was gaining weight, and then I was stressed out because my life was still falling apart. So, like, you know, didn't really... And I wasn't taking care of myself anyway, so, like, anything that seemed weird, I, you know, like, disregard it, whatever. Um, and my period was always irregular for, for my whole adult life so like that wasn't any kind of an indicator of anything and and i and i just googled i just googled i didn't know i was pregnant signs i mean that just came up but common symptoms of a cryptic pregnancy may include typical pregnancy symptoms such as spotting nausea cramping cramping swollen breasts and fatigue which could be lots of things right frankly right and however at times it's possible to have no symptoms at all right and so that's wild then then it was like i get god knows what brought her to the doctor but there was some reason she went and then it was like this explains it you're pregnant and by the way you're six months in and holy shit that is nightmare fuel for real I I couldn't can you imagine, believe it. Can you imagine like, you go to the doctor and you're like, ugh, my back hurts a little bit. I'm going to go to the doctor or whatever it is. Right. And then you come home and you're like, fuck. Yeah. No, listen. Every time, <laughs> oh, man. every time I go to the doctor, I go in there assuming what everyone assumes. I just wait for them to say the word cancer. Like, that's what you get. Oh, Jesus. That's what you go in <laughs> thinking. Cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And any, the smallest thing is wrong. You're like, 
I'm just waiting for the doctor to say I've got, you know, foot cancer because my foot hurts. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, brain cancer because I've had a headache. That's you're just ready for that. Um, or at least that's what I am. I guess ready um, for it. I don't know. But, but like- if some like if I got in there and been like, yeah, I'm really run down. I would be ready. I would be ready for the doctor to be like, here's cancer, cancer or something. If the, they said pregnancy, I'd be like, and they're like, and you're like, that's worse. Yes. <laughs> I would be catatonic in there and for hours, like I couldn't go home. I would just be like, no, you could go home. <laughs> I'd be like, you're incorrect. Do every test again. Cause that's not possible. Figure it out. Like, yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah. So well, anyway, I doubt that she woke up pregnant is quite that. But I know, um, I know. Um, and then finally, there's Doctor Caver, who's only barely in this story, um, played by an actor called Gary Davy. Um, his kind of trajectory is similar to Justine Priestley's, where um, he st- like basically has about a sixteen active year period um Mm -hmm. that begins in 88 and ends in 2004 um and then the one thing that i thought was interesting is he was in a tv movie about amy fisher um that's also very 90s yes i'm surprised that there's not more talk of her in like the land of true crime um, and maybe it's cause like, is the story just not that interesting? Maybe it isn't like, I mean, I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting, but I think that it's like, maybe it's just old now. And oh and my it's, God, it's Amy, maybe, did maybe, you know that her name is Amy Elizabeth Fisher? Well, I'm her. I, I guess so. <laughs> I, yeah, I shot Joey Botafico, but, um, yeah, I think it's maybe just maybe not that interesting because he didn't. This is gonna sound bad because he didn't die. No, she maybe doesn't. It's less interesting. She doesn't shoot him. She shot the wife. Oh yeah, she shot the wife, but she didn't die. <laughs> no, nobody yeah. died. But, yeah, so I feel like maybe that's less interesting for people. That sounds terrible, but like for true crime people, they like dead. Yeah, I suppose that's true, but I mean, I maybe it's just because it's but it was not a big story at the time. It was a huge story at the time, but maybe it's like less interesting as well because it's like so cliche. It's like she's seventeen. It's revealed she like has is having an affair with like was he her teacher or was the he like married a- guy? I mean, I have to assume that it was like. Hold on. Um, <laughs> I don't think he was her teacher. I just oh, I don't know. Oh, according what the vibe was. to Wikipedia, um, she met him when she took her car in f- to his auto body shop. Okay, um, that sounds right. Yeah, but it's I mean it's very like the babysitter falls in love with the dad. I mean, um, I used to listen to a podcast that his daughter was on, and like I mean she. It was not a podcast about her family, but, like, occasionally she would mention. Like Weird. She did, she's never changed her last name. 
Who? Amy Fisher or Buttafuoco's no, no, no. kid? But, like, her name is, like, Jesse Buttafuoco, and she goes by that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. I just, maybe more time needs to pass, or maybe it just isn't, in the end, terribly interesting, because it is just, like, this teenage girl and this 35-year-old man have sex. She kind of goes nuts and attacks his wife. Um, like... Now, if you watch, like, Dateline, like we do, this is a dime a dozen <laughs> yeah. when it comes to stories. Yeah. Um, that's literally almost every murder in this country is, like, some type of love triangle yeah, situation. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it just, like, it just died out. Like, the interest in it just died out. I or, guess so. Or... Um, yeah, it's, I mean, because it, it was quite scandalous and salacious. I think also because she's, like, decently good-looking. Like, she's oh, like she's not a complete mm-hmm. dog, so They make like, a joke about it in, um, again, it's very of the time. In Adam's but family they make a joke. values. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and then apparently she's now become a porn actress, so... Oh. That's Amy Fisher, come on now. Something? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, um, I guess that's okay. I guess do you. But it's it's like, her business, and I hope it that business is good in the sense that she's made some money off that. But I am I'm just surprised, I suppose, because then I also was just looking and like the the kind of TV movie that called the Amy Fisher story, which I think this guy must have been in, um, had Drew Barrymore playing Amy Fisher. So like it's whoa like maybe I gotta find that to watch later tonight I don't know but like um (laughs) I I would I'm surprised is all I'm saying for all that like we're in a true crime moment and like nostalgia for the 90s is so high I'm surprised that that hasn't seen as much attention as I might expect from you know like those areas where that exists but anyway now let us return should have gone to jail too though to be honest. Who? Joey Buttafuoco. I mean, she was 16. He was 35. Yeah, I don't know if he ever ended up going to jail for that or not. I don't think. Maybe the murder kind of messed people up in that well, regard. Or attempted murder. murder, I should say. Sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Amy Elizabeth Fisher. Um, <laughs> that was me. I should Mary Jo is very I, much alive. You were found guilty for attempted murder. Um, Correct. And we don't even have to say allegedly because you were found guilty for that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yes, maybe the attempted murder distracted from the statutory rape. I guess so. Yuck. Um, yeah. Returning to Paradox, um, we now open... Uh, the show with what I can infer is an opening that happens every time. So do you want to read the voiceover that brings us into this land? Oh, sure. In the city of Betaville, in the near future, I hate when they don't tell us exactly because, anyway. In the near future, the technology we developed confronts us. The science we created seduces us. But will our dreams of tomorrow be turned into a nightmare? Welcome to Paradox. Be careful what you wish for. Nothing is impossible anymore. Ooh, so scary. I know. And then what's weird is so they <laughs> so they so they have that and you're like, okay, I got it. And it's like an a VO over various images, very kind of 
as we've seen now, like outer limits and twilight zone fine. But then they also have a second setup where it's a man with his face like an extreme close-up. And he's like setting up the premise of the episode, kind of like Rod Serling in Twilight Zone. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. why do we need this? Like, you're not anybody. Like, Rod Serling was the writer and creator of Twilight Zone. So, like, that's fine that he's there. But this guy's nothing. Like, I don't know why he's here. But nonetheless, he tells us that we're going to be experiencing the life of a man who's, um, I don't know, like at the, whose life has been improved at the cost of others, I suppose, is how you might say it. Um, When we arrive into this world of Betaville, we are at Daniel Gray's very uh, handsome villa, um, and he's throwing a party and playing the piano for his guests. And f- then the, according to the world of this show, the infamous Sarah Dale appears. Um, and she has come to this party specifically to see what she and everyone else refers to as Daniel Gray's extras. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to try and explain what extras are? No. <laughs> you, you explain it. Uh, okay. Um, so <laughs> extras are clones that have been made of Daniel, and their their purpose is to continue to provide Daniel with organs, uh, and presumably like blood and kind of anything that you could harvest from a human body, um, should yeah. should he need them at some juncture. And while it's unclear exactly how many clones Daniel has, um, mm-hmm. he seems to have them of varying ages as well. Mm-hmm. And so... The extras that are put on display for the party guests are seven of, like, Daniel's best young clones. Ones? I don't, you know, Uh-oh. because cause they range in age. Like, I think they said that, like, some set of them were, like, seven years old. And then, like, another set was, That's like, creepy. in their teens. And then the one that really stands out to Sarah is the one that's called... C7, who is 24. <laughs> I understand having, like, uh, a young, like, a 24. Like, if you're... Because I think Daniel Gray like is supposed to be... Yourself, I think he's supposed to be, like, in his 40s. Okay, so, this. like, 24 makes sense. Like, having ones of different ages makes sense, but child age doesn't make sense to me. Well, what would you ever need a child's organ or a child's this or that for? Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's that, like, let's assume that in this world they figured out cloning, but they can't, like, clone you as your current age. They have, like, okay. the clone has to grow from a baby to an adult. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Oh, got it, got it. Okay. So, so I don't... They'll just keep aging up. Right. Like, I don't think you necessarily okay. need a seven-year-old's kidney. You probably don't want it. Oh, I but, see. But, like, right. you know, you have that kid there so that, like, because probably, although they don't make this clear either... Probably the thing is, is like after a certain age, irrespective of how old you are, it's like, well, if this clone is meant to like be my replacement organs, first of all, I'm going to need a lot of them because like, what if I one day need a kidney, which then the clone could continue to live. But what if one day I need a heart, then that thing can't continue to live. Right. Like, so you need multiples. And then as well, there's probably like an age after which you would exterminate them. Yikes. Like, and so you keep getting older. Yeah. But they say stay the same age. It's a good old We're Matthew McConaughey in Days and Confused situation. <laughs> okay. It's a little creepy. Yeah. So that's like, I don't think he's getting anything from those kids. I think it's just like they need to grow into the proper age or whatever. The organ donors. Okay. Unless, and there are weird like celebrity conspiracy theories about this. Unless like, for example, like getting a blood transfusion from a super young kid would like keep you. Energize you. More vital or something. Mm. Um, Really weird. So that's already kind of a whole thing. Um, (laughs) And then Ben, the doctor who is like Daniel's personal doctor, who's re- who's kind of like the clone wrangler. Um, <laughs> he, he also explains to Sarah that um, in addition to being clones, the, the clones have had their minds altered through drugs so that Jeez. they don't really understand what is happening. Or their surroundings. That's dark. Yeah. I mean, I get the impression that it's a combination of, like, a drug protocol as well as, like, they've cloned the body. A mind thing? They've cloned the body, Mm -hmm. but they haven't attempted to do much with the brain of them. And so I don't know if they've actively Mm -hmm. tinkered with it so that they can't understand, but, like, as we learn... It's a big deal that this 24-year-old one called C7 can speak. Like, so they've somehow done Yikes. something so that normally they don't speak um, and they okay. don't understand. Sarah very blatantly says, so they're slaves. And everyone else is like, oh, no, 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 no. We would never use that word. <laughs> it's like, uh. Yeah, if you don't use the word, then it means it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I also do want to mention, though, like, going back to what we said at the open, she had a... I really liked her outfit and look in this scene because she had this, like, perfectly... was. It was, like, a perfectly tailored, strapless dress that was long okay. and, like, looked... Mm-hmm. It looked like... It looked painted on in the sense that it looked like it was tailored to her body perfectly like not yeah like it just laid perfectly all around her and especially impressive because it's already a strapless dress so that's already impressive but then it was also strapless in such a way that like it 
connected at the back like a bandeau top, and then quite a lot of the back was open. And, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so I'm like, to get it to fit like that and then have quite a lot of the back be open is, like, really impressive. Like, I was very impressed <laughs> with whatever seamstress or person put that dress together because I thought it looked... And it was, well, like... they have a lot of time because they just do her costume and then they let some of the other people... Just, just wear their own their clothes. clothes yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, as well, to add to that, because the dress was mostly backless, she also clearly had... Someone had put on a necklace backwards on her where it was like um one of those necklaces where like a statement necklace where if you had worn it at the front like all the strings of beads would have gone down like your um decolletage yeah but it was on the back so all of that was hanging Mm. down off the back um, mm. and I, I really liked it. I was like, that is a whole look. And if someday I ever wear a backless dress, <laughs> I'm going to get a, You're gonna do that get a necklace like that and put it on backwards because it looks really cool. Um, <laughs> now, unfortunately, no sooner did I enjoy this look, but she explains that, um, she is like sexually aroused by C7 um, mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite work out like what she's supposed, like she's famous somehow in this world. Um, and she seems to be famous for having sex. She seems like a whore. Well, she calls herself <laughs> one, I think. Like, yeah, I th- yeah, I think you're right. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I'll say this. I know for a fact that there are sex workers who make heaps of cash in our world um, sure. and live lavish lifestyles, much like she's like purported to be doing in this show. The thing that I don't, I'm like, and maybe this is just because. Either I'm not aware of this part of the internet or maybe we're just not as like sexually liberated yet. I don't know. But I'm like, but like (laughs) the media isn't covering their life. Like the people who are making the most money from sex work who are like, you know, millionaires multi times over. You'd be lucky if you even knew their real name. Like, um... I d- yeah. So I right, right, right. Well, because it's well, because it's. I think the the well, what the I really am not plugged into that world. But I I remember when it was like the scandal of who I'm not going to remember his name. What's his the Weiner guy? Right, remember him? Anthony Weiner? Anthony Weiner. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there was like he was the one who had. There was like a call girl who like I remember them talking about her. Like her charge was ten thousand dollars a night or ten thousand dollars of date or whatever it was. Sure. So yeah, people like that, and they're very like that that level, and especially the ones who are being seen by politicians. <laughs> um, it's very it's very much still secretive. They're not like front page names. Well, and even if you're to- like if you're talking about a porn actor. Like, in the mm-hmm. world of porn, 
their name would be well known. And even in the mainstream world, right. to some degree, their name would be known if they were big enough as an actor. Right. But like even those people, like um, I'm trying to think of who's like a Jenna Jameson. Jenna Jameson was a big one kind of around this era. I think um yeah. Sasha Gray was another one who sort of crossed over into mainstream knowledge in the early two thousands or twenty tens. Okay. Um like as much as But not many. Hardly Wait, any. I mean- and they are never like stars in their own right, really. Like, right? They're right. well, and if they're you knew mentioned their names, in combination with somebody else, and then as soon as right, and so as soon as like, and usually sort not, of as a joke. Well, either that or it's like, oh, can you imagine like Sasha Gray is dating? I'm trying to think of mm. who she might have been connected to. Let's just say Kanye West, Ron Jeremy. You know, oh. like for the <laughs> sake of the argument, but like say. Like someone who is quote unquote really famous dates a porn actor. Um, As soon as they're not dating anymore, it's like we collectively forgot about that porn actor and whatever. Like we're not. It's not the. We're not following their career any further or whatever. Um, And I don't know. There are very few that hit that even that level of like name recognition the very idea especially now with the all like internet stuff like i just think (laughs) there's just no way yeah i mean i like i again i think probably like in a sense you could make a lot more money for maybe a lot less work doing that now because you could do like only fans and you could have Instagram right. and you can have TikTok, you know, like, and there's various ways to monetize right. all those things. And so the time right. we spend doing actual porn might not be terribly much, like, in the grand scheme. I don't know. Um, Sex workers, write in. Let us know. How much do you make? I, I would <laughs> love curious. to know. I mean, I would love to yeah, know. Yeah, I would too. I would love to know from, like, the the very bottom of the scale to, yeah. the, like, the tippity tip, tip top. Um, Same. And everything in between. Like, I'd just be like, how does this all work? But, like, in this case, Sarah seems to be a very well-known celebrity um, in her own right for having sex. Um, Interesting. Who's to say? Um, So she wants to have sex with C7. Um, Ben, the clone wrangler, is very concerned about this possibility. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, because it's interesting. He's basically like um, these clones, even though C7, he describes C7 as the one with the most potential intelligence. Um, he's like, these clones have not been designed for this purpose. And mm-hmm. so they might perceive sex as trauma. Like, and that there's, and there's nothing you could do to change that for them. Um, Mm -hmm. but Daniel, um, as I wrote in my handwritten notes, Daniel poo-poos his concerns. (laughs) (laughs) He's Um, like trauma shmama. Um, well, and also there's this weird thing. It's like a weird love triangle where Sarah wants C7. C7 is a younger version of Daniel. And so he's like... Well, I really all I also want to have sex with Sarah. So if she has sex with C seven, 
then that's kind of like she's having sex with me, and that <laughs> makes me feel good. That's and good I was, enough. <laughs> I was like, I don't get it, man. Like, Yeah, I, that's still weird. And, and I think we've talked a bit about this in the context of multiplicity of, like, if someone has sex with your clone, does that count as cheating and various other things? Um, if it's you at a different age, I feel like that that makes it more different than, like, for example, in multiplicity or something like that. Yeah. And it's, mean, like, clearly you at a different age. I feel like that seems more separate. In general, I would say the my main thing is C7 can't consent. Um, so this isn't great. Right. Um, well, the trauma thing, I mean, that is a, yeah. that is a fair concern. And, and then worse still, before this encounter, so, like, Daniel's like, of course you can have sex with my clone. That's cool. Um, to, before this encounter, C7 gets hosed down in the garden like a horse or Dog. something. Like, yeah, like, he's dirty <laughs> from being outside or something. Um, Yikes. Then, uh, I don't, I couldn't tell if this was a greenhouse or what kind of space this was, but it's still on Daniel's property. Um, Sarah and C7 are in this like bedroom area that weirdly has like a skylight atop it, which (laughs) is part of a greenhouse that everyone else at the party is standing around watching them have sex through the skylight. Um, so weird. Which I felt was strange. Um, <laughs> like this it's, whole place is strange. It's strange architecturally. It's strange from the perspective of like, uh, at least I've not ever been to these kinds of parties where, <laughs> like, it's like now let's all watch a live sex show. Together. You haven't been to a party like that? I've not been to a party like that. But again, weird. I think also what we're meant to understand is that like Daniel and Sarah and all of the like guests of this party are all fabulously wealthy. And in fairness to the fabulously wealthy, I'm not. So if this is a normal part of a of a party for the fabulously wealthy, I accept it. I like fair (laughs) enough. Um, but I we just, just, we're too poor to I'm understand. Too, That's I'm it. I'm too poor to understand <laughs> your fancy sex parties. Um, then the next day, uh, out on Daniel's patio, Sarah comes out from, I don't know, like the time on this was weird, but it seemed like they went to have sex and then maybe the rest of the party carried on. And Sarah was just not at it. And then so she slept Uh over with C7. And then the next day she comes out to speak to Daniel, who's sitting having his breakfast. And she's upset because she's like, I got the impression that you were watching us. And he was like, well. Got the impression. Yeah, yeah. everyone was, bitch. Um, (laughs) And so that was weird. But she she was only mildly upset by that, I guess. Um... (laughs) But the main point of this uh, patio scene is that Sarah um, wants to buy C7 from Daniel um, to Weird. become her literal sex slave. Sex slave, yeah. Um, and Daniel's counter offer is himself. 
Um, <laughs> to which... To purchase? I, th- I don't know about purchase in that case. Um, I'm not... I genuinely, in the context of this story, wasn't really sure what yeah. Daniel wanted and why he was so yeah. obsessed with Sarah. Um, but I guess when he's offering himself, what he's saying is, you know, I like, let's be in a relationship. Yeah. Which Sarah clearly is, does not want, um, because she doesn't want Daniel. She wants C7. She wants a sex slave. She does not want like a relationship. Um, how she says it, however, is that, she doesn't like having sex with men who are over 40. Um, that's what she says. Um, <laughs> and it's unclear precisely what she's hinting at, but she says something like they fall asleep too early or something. <laughs> um, I mean, not untrue. No, I know. And I will say that, like, once you are over 40, it seems like men have a lot of, like, hmm, how would I put it? Like, if <laughs> even the slightest thing is off, you are not having sex with that guy. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Because all of a sudden it's like, it's too hot or it's too cold <laughs> or I thought a weird thought and now everything's ruined. Like... Um, okay. And maybe that's I feel just... Like I could say the same about, like, people, all people. Sure. At a certain age. Maybe. But, maybe. I mean, but, like, I did have a bit of a laugh when she said this based on my late, my current dating fiascos. And I'm like, <laughs> I know what you mean, lady. I know what you mean. Um, so then, because she said this thing... He's like, well, okay, what if I put my brain in C7's body? And she's like, okay, you're just not getting it. I don't like you. (laughs) Yeah. Don't make me tell you the real truth. Um, It's like, if if you weren't you, you being over 40 wouldn't matter. Um... But you are you, and so putting you into a younger body also is not what I'm interested in either. Um, But as is typical for men of this persuasion, Daniel doesn't listen to her, and so he goes to (laughs) his friend, Dr. Ben, and is like, I really want to transplant my brain into C7's body, which Ben hates as an idea. Um, but they forge ahead anyway. Um, and the reason they forge ahead is because Sarah has invited Daniel to a press conference she's having later that day at her home. Um, this is where the reporter with the blue eyeshadow and blue lip and blue, uh, (laughs) eyebrow thing is all happening. Um, and in the context of this press conference... Like the unsurprisingly, the reporters are like, "Are you to an item now?" Blah 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 blah. Um, Sarah remains coy. Daniel eventually is like, "Oh yes." Well, see, the thing is, is she told me I need to get a brain transplant, 
uh, before I can be with her, so that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> which Sarah responds to gracefully in front of reporters, but as soon as the press conference is over, she is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and she's like, I, th- I can't remember, but she's basically like, you're a fool. I told you I didn't want you to do this, and it makes no difference to me if you do this. It's not going to make me want to have sex with you. Um, he is desperate AF. <laughs> I do wish, um, in the context of this story, that there had been slightly more given to us as to why he is so like obsessed with this woman. Um, yeah. But... Oh man, it's been so long since I've read the book or seen the movie, but I th- maybe that's actually how it functions there too because there is a similar like love interest issue. Um mm. and maybe it's similar in that it's not really about the love interest, it's more about Dorian, you know. Um got it. Anyway, um against his better desires, Ben Uh, is now doing tests on C7 to prepare for the upcoming brain transplant. So he's scanning C7's brain. Um, And in the context of this scan, this is when we learn, the most we'll kind of ever learn, uh, for this story anyway, which is that, like, quote-unquote society has determined that Daniel Gray is really important because of his mind um and i and it's unclear like precisely what he is known for like if he's a scientist or a banker or what but yeah. he's per, he is identified as extremely valuable to society and that was why he was permitted to have extras in the first place and also that he would have so many of them um hmm yeah, so that suggests that in this world of Betaville, um, one, there's some kind of regulation on the amount of clones people can have, or even if you can have a clone. Um, mm-hmm. And that the determining factor to getting any is about your value to society. To society. Um, that is arbitrary. It is. <laughs> Um, as the brain scan is going, an alert goes off, um, which suggests that as Ben imagined that there's something different about C7's brain compared to the other clones. Um, and this seems to be substantiated when C7 starts to speak. Um, yeah, so he starts to speak, and at this point, I don't think it's super relevant what he says. It's more just like a proof that he can. Um, later, uh, in the operating room, which apparently is also on Daniel Gray's property. Um, this whole place seems to all be in one weird room. Yeah, it's all, I think it's all on his, like, compound. I think... That's what we're supposed to understand is that Daniel has like a compound. Um, and I suppose there would have to be an operating room there because if you need a transplant or blood infusion immediately from one of your clones, 
I guess that's true. You maybe need that. Um, I guess so. They've now uh, added to their team Dr. Carver, or sorry, Dr. Caver, who's a brain specialist. Um, and he's explaining to both Ben and Daniel that this particular brain transplant is only going to be a quote-unquote partial one. Um, oh, got it. Yeah, where only the memory and personality of Daniel will be translate, transplanted into C7's brain. Um, I'm not hmm. sure how that's done. It still seems like... It still seems like there's going to be a chunk of brain cut out yeah, of both brains and switched around. Like a, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem... I'm no brain surgeon. What? But it seems like if you cut a chunk... No. <laughs> seems like if you cut a chunk out of one brain and put another brain in that other brain that you can't be sure exactly what that outcome... It's just a partial brain transplant doesn't seem safe. No. Uh, we definitely do not have the science or technology for it at this juncture. Um, <laughs> and... Again, yeah, I mean, like, as with much science fiction, quite a lot of the science part is glossed over. Um, yeah. Yeah, because to, to, that suggests that there's, like, memory and personality are physically embodied in a part of the brain, which is sort of true. Um, right. But, like, the brain is so complex that's not, like, we'll just lop off the front this bit the memory here. <laughs> like, yeah. Ploof it right into this other one. Um, yeah. But according to the science of this show, because the brain transplant is only partial, it will take immediately. So, like, one of the things they're discussing here Whoa. is, like, because this is a world where brain transplants happen r regularly, I guess. Okay. Um, which I don't think has ever happened here. Hold on. Let me just see. Brain transplant. Um, I think it's pretty rare still. Yes. Hold on a second. I did find something about head transplantation. Um, Whoa. Yeah. They've done face transplants, and I think yes. those are still That's obviously still super pretty. Rare. I think we looked at that for a dip for a different thing, and it's still pretty experimental. Probably. Oh, probably for face off. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Well, according to a weird article I found that was written in 2019. Um, mm -hmm. There is efforts to be able to do such a thing as a head transplantation. Um, yes, I don't like that. Which I guess means, because it says here, this innovative surgery promises a life-saving procedure to individuals who suffer from a terminal disease, but whose head and brain are healthy. Um, what the fuck? So you would but literally put your head onto head. some... You would put your... If you were the sick person, you would put your head on a healthy body. But, again, like, what body... What body has a head... Like, okay, wait a second. We're saying that, like, if someone... 
I'm so confused. If someone gets, say, decapitated in a car accident, they're going to just bring the decapitated body to the hospital and be like, oh, here's a head we got. I guess. Slap a head on this body. I guess. What? (laughs) That can't be right. (laughs) That's wild. Doesn't your body die if you get decapitated? Wait, like... Uh, I mean, probably there would have to, clearly, there'd have to be some other, um... Or do they mean, like, something like, I feel like they don't, they can't possibly mean that. They have to mean something more like it's a brain transplant, like, with some piece of the the skull, too, or, like, No, I mean, that's the whole thing. They mean fucking full head? Yeah, like... Because the whole thing is, is like, again, because it's so complex, it's actually from what I've now learned from the internet, very briefly, it would actually be easier to do a full head transplant than a brain transplant. I don't transplant. get that. I don't get that. It's what because. What does that mean? It's because. But what about, like, what about where do you attach it? Well, that's the whole point. It's easier and I'm and by that I'm not implying that this is easy I'm just saying it is easier to attach someone at the neck and get all of those various ligaments and veins and nerves and what have you to connect up okay 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 I don't that's crazy but what would you do (laughs) if like let's say oh my god it's so crazy let's say that like I got decapitated in a car accident. That's what we're going with. And then someone tragically also died at the hospital of, I guess, like, I don't know, like a a bullet wound to the chest. I don't know. And But their head was perfect. <laughs> right. What? And so I'm going to get that person's head. And then I'm going to <laughs> It's so crazy. I'm going to get that person's head and then come out of surgery and be like, hey, it's still me. But it's not because it's not my brain. Well, you're raising the ethical that concerns. Yes. You're raising the ethical well, know, concerns but- that are also quite apparent in all this literature that I've found. <laughs> Because literally, who is that person? Because my brain, my head is gone. So, like, I am now whoever's head, but they have my body. Correct. And if I'm that new head, personally, if I'm that new head and I get attached to my body, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> like, well, sure. You gave me? I mean, I assume that from what I've gathered, um, the, the notion of a head transplant is more about if you've got a terminal illness that would, um, like, make your body basically not viable, but as long as your brain and everything, like, neck up was healthy, then... If someone died in the operating room of that very same hospital, then... They could just go chop your head off. You could opt into <laughs> that, I guess. That is... That's crazy to me. Like, that's really just, like, in what weird Frankenstein world are we living? That is just absolutely wild. But, well, anyway, 
it's anyway. to to get back to where we began on this. Uh, the medicine and the science, such as they are at this moment in time, 2023, is such that what would be feasible is a head transplant rather than a brain transplant. Um, okay. And even what like what we surmised here where maybe you just take like one little piece of a brain and put it into another brain and see what happened even that is not a thing that is remotely possible yet um like a head they said in the near future because they don't want to like commit to the time frame yeah i mean and fair enough i i can respect that um but like i guess i just never thought that the answer to the or brain transplants possible, the answer would be no, but a head transplant is. I just didn't. No, that's absolutely I insane. Did not like, I really expect that <laughs> to be the I answer. So, it's something that I never thought was a problem, and, and now I'm concerned. I think that we're that fine. Even a possibility. No, I think we don't have to worry about it. In our I'm about lifetime. to change my status on my <laughs> license to no head transplants, please. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, if it says organ donor, does that include my whole head? I don't. Yeah, I'm going to be like <laughs> specifically not my head. Like, you can take all the other organs, but specifically not my head. Um. Then, so okay, so we are in the weird new like little room that C7 has been given. Because he's now demonstrated that he's, like, special compared to the other clones. Um, Mm -hmm. And when he's talking to Ben, the doctor, he says that, like, actually he's been able to talk for years, but he never showed anyone that. Um, And part of the reason he's been able to talk for years is because he stopped taking the mind-altering drugs that the other clones Mm. have been taking. Um, in this conversation, C7 also asks Ben to remove the children clones from the population that includes adults. Um, and Ben is like, well, we've been monitoring them. They're not being abused or anything. And C7 doesn't elaborate, but he's like, just get them out of there. Um, Whoa. Which I don't know what that suggests, um, but that is a, dark though. I know, but that is something that then happens is that the children qu- clones are then put into a, a separate location from the adults. Um, mm. they also talk about Sarah. Ben is curious for C7's kind of feelings about that. And he says he never wants to see Sarah again, um, because he's been exploited by her and assaulted by her. Um, mm. unsurprising on that. Um, Ben then explains the brain transplant procedure that is going to be happening. (laughs) Um, C7, as I say here, isn't jazzed about it. Um, He feels kind of the same way I feel about head transplants. Yeah. And I mean, he also basically is like, and I think he says it in a different scene, but he basically is like, you told me that you as a doctor have to abide by the Hippocratic Oath, which means do no harm. So if you're harming me, like, aren't I your patient as well? And you're harming, you're giving me an unnecessary surgery, basically, is what he's saying. Um, and Ben kind of doesn't really have a reaction to that. Um, 
Meanwhile, Sarah has found um, Dr. Caver's uh, weird hotel where he goes to have sex with prostitutes, um, it is implied. (laughs) Um, And she surprises him and basically, we don't see the whole interaction, but she does shower in his hotel room and then reveal herself in the nude to him. Um, She's also able to shower and keep a full face of makeup on, which is intriguing. Um, Love it. And we don't really know what happens, but the scene cuts with Sarah kind of asking for a favor. Um, C7 also tries to mount an unsuccessful escape. And (laughs) the the show kind of culminates with um, they're now all in the operating room, Dr. Caver, Dr. Ben, um, C7, and Daniel. And they're preparing for the procedure. Um, Ben, in particular, asks Dr. Caver to reconsider his role in this transplant. Um, And that then prompts Dr. Caver to be like, is there something special about this clone or is there something I should know? And there's a lot of, like, meaningful looks shared between these two men (laughs) and maybe, like, even some, like, eyebrow raising and stuff. Um, but nobody actually says anything. Um, so then they begin the transplant procedure. I guess this is supposed to be the next day, though it's not entirely clear. Um, they are in Daniel's lovely living room. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ben, Caver, and Sarah are there first chatting with each other. Um, Daniel... The new Daniel in the body of C7 comes out. Oh, God. um, And talks to them and reveals, first and foremost, that he doesn't want to be called Daniel anymore. He wants to be called Carl, um, which I think is meant to be some sort of riff on C7, though I don't know what. Uh, Um, Oh. And then Carl, he's now the one who says, like, we're going to change the way... The clones are treated. They're going to get better food. They're going to live in better spaces, particularly that children are. Um, but as you see in the outline, I know he doesn't actually free them. Yeah. So something weird <laughs> there. Um, Dr. Ben and Dr. Caver congratulate themselves on this excellent procedure that they've done. Um, and then Dr. Caver leaves, uh, and I guess Ben leaves as well, because then Sarah and Carl are left alone, and Sarah reveals to Carl that she sacrificed herself to Dr. Caver so that she could get this version. Basically, what we learn here is that Carl is not... Daniel's brain in C7's body. Carl is mostly C7 with a bit of Daniel put into him. Hmm. Um, Whereupon um, Carl slash C7 is like you can, because she's proposing that they go away on some sort of vacation or something and he's like Hmm. uh, go on vacation yourself I never want to see you again um (laughs) and she's surprised because she's like well I 
you wouldn't even be you if I hadn't intervened with Dr. Caver, but he doesn't care. Um, so she leaves. Um, mm-hmm. And then once she does, Dr. Ben comes back in the room and asks if Carl can play the piano like Daniel was able to, um, which he can. Um, and there's also, I think he's like, and I wonder what else I'll be able to do in some time. So that's not totally mm-hmm. clear what that means. Um, mm-hmm. And then the final scene is that we're back in the kind of underground room where C7 had been kept, only now it's a very kind of like lessened version of Daniel who has been left in there. Um, And that is basically it. Ben is now responsible for taking care of this like shell of a human being, I guess, until he dies or whatever. Um, Yikes. So it's almost like, I'm trying to think, this might almost be a bit of, um, it's like the first part of the picture of Dorian Gray without the remaining part because Mm -hmm. um, C7 and all the other clones are not really the vessel for Daniel's bad ideas. They are just there to keep Mm -hmm. him going. They're just vessels, basically. Right. and But then, at the end, it seems like there's the switcheroo, and then Daniel becomes right. the vessel for all of his own bad inclinations and thoughts. Like, that's all he's left with mm. at the end. Mm. Um, dark. <laughs> yeah. Pretty dark. And then, again, I just have to reiterate... We don't actually know, like, the story implies that Carl is some, so, somehow better or kinder or whatever, and maybe he is. But at the same time, if he was really that great, he would have said, we're not doing this cloning shit anymore. Yeah, we're, like, we're shutting this whole type of operation down. Instead, he's like, no, I'm just in charge now. Yeah, he's like, we'll treat the clones more nicely. We absolutely will keep the person whose identity I've effectively stolen will keep them locked away forever. Um, And I'll go about living this life. So, like, not ideal, I guess, is what I'd say. No. Um, Okay. So, in terms of yawns and eye rolls, uh, one yawn is, this was truly magical. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I, I devoured every moment. And Tanyan's is like this was a snooze fest of un of epic proportion. What would you give it? Okay, so the high number is the snooze fest this time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um I think I might say like a seven. Wow. I was pretty bored. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was distracted. <laughs> this is one where, like, I was like, do I know what happened in this? I'm not positive. And um, it also, what the, what the, I watched on Amazon and there were commercials. Oh. So that took me out of it quite a bit <laughs> throughout. I was like, it, it anyway, uh, yeah, seven, mm. I think. I was pretty bored. Yeah, I thought, yeah, hmm. Yeah, I might give it a five. I was like slightly more engaged, I think, than you were, but the it did feel slow moving um, in a lot yeah. of ways, and like not 
super duper engaging. Um, yeah. In terms of eye rolls, one eye roll is, oh man, I totally get it, and I'm moving to Betaville tomorrow. <laughs> oh. And Tanyon's is like, nah, I didn't get any of this. Um, not for me. Mm, yeah. This one's probably up there for me in terms of that scale. I would say possibly an eight or nine. Like, I definitely was not quite sure what was going on. Definitely wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> definitely wouldn't want to be a part of any of this. Um, yeah, besides a couple of her outfits and, you know, some of the, like, cuckoo makeup... I don't want to. I don't. I don't want anything to do with this town. So yeah, eight or nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I would similarly go as high as like an eight. Um, and I just I say an eight, but I also say like if it's that kind of kitschy and weird, I wish it had been more fun or interesting or That's something. That's true. Um, that I will. Say. That I will agree with. It's, yeah, in that sense, it's kind of a letdown because you would have liked yeah. to see when something's quite odd, like you want it to be lean Go into that a little more. Yeah. yeah. So finally, then, did you like this and would you recommend it? No. <laughs> I really don't think so. It's only one. Se- it's only one season, and I think that speaks volumes. Now, I know lots of good shows have ended with just one season, but I think this is one where it just wasn't successful. Yeah. And it's whatever. Just, no, I would not. Yeah, I say the same. Um, I guess what I'm learning lately is that while the science fiction anthology series is great, for the podcast because then we don't have to worry about like do we always need to watch a pilot episode um i don't think i actually like it much as a like science fiction delivery method like um because it's i think it what it does is it really kind of lowers the stakes of world building Mm -hmm. because it's like well Mm-hmm. Why are we going to do too we much? Finish this up. Like, well, because yeah. like next week we're doing a totally different thing, and like this week right. we're in like future, like Cincinnati, and next week we're supposed to be on Mars. So, like, how much are we really gonna put into production value or thought about this story or like whatever? Um, right. Yeah. Like the extras, like wear your jeans. We don't care. Yeah. And like. so. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there are examples that do it better than this one has. Yeah. Um, like, I know that you and Isaac enjoy Raid Bradbury Theater on its own merits, on your that. own I prefer, time. I prefer that because I think because that one is successful to me because of what you said a minute ago, which is the leaning into the, the absurd, sort right. of. It's so absurd and so campy is not really the right word, but it's it, it leans into that more where it becomes fun. Right. As opposed to just sort of head scratching. Yeah. Um, and this one, I mean, maybe had it existed longer, they would have been able to make something happen. But 
Um, yeah, I think what I'm learning is that the science fiction anthology series for me is a really, you're actually setting yourself up a very tough challenge as the creator and producer of that type of show. So yeah, I would agree. All we can say is don't watch Welcome to Paradox. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, even though it's free, even though it's relatively accessible, it, you you can find better stuff uh, yeah. out there in the world. Well, nonetheless, as always, it was a pleasure speaking with you, Amy, and a pleasure having all of you listen as always. Um, I am Sarah, and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.